Hey listeners, I'm Pastor Brian Dwyer, and you're listening to the Pursue God Truth Podcast on a Tuesday. Pastor Ross Anderson joins me for today's topic. And remember, you can find resources to have this conversation with your family, small group, or mentor. Find it all at PursueGod.org. Well, Ross, today we're talking about probably the weirdest topic we've covered on our podcast. We're going to talk about demon possession, what every Christian should know. So we're going to, we're going to cover, you know, what allows a person to be demon possessed. How can you know, uh, if someone's demon possessed, can a Christian be demon possessed? What can you do about it? That's what we're going to cover today, but we probably should start with the most basic question of all Ross. Is that really a thing still? I mean, you read about it in the new Testament, but does it still happen today? 2000 years later? Yeah, it's a great question because you see it in popular movies and and you know media and so forth. Really makes a big deal out of the role of demon powers and and uh, entities and stuff like that. And so it is a great question. Is it we live in a in an age that's not that's not so superstitious anymore? And and so in a secular world, can we really believe in this? And yeah, it it definitely happens. I think in America, um, it's less well accepted. But if you travel around the world, and if you're if you're with Christians in other parts of the world, and and the two thirds world, there's common stories everywhere. When we were in uh, Thailand, uh, there were plenty of stories and plenty of of people whose lives we met people whose lives had been affected by this, and part of their coming to faith in Christ was the fact that they had been under the thumb of a demonic power in their life. So it's for real. It's just maybe a little less um, obvious, maybe in a secular culture like ours. Yeah, I have a friend who's a missionary in Indonesia, and he said that they do a retreat every other month or so for Muslim background believers who've come out of Islam and and have come to faith in Jesus, and they do this kind of like a baptism retreat and a worship weekend sort of a thing. And he said every time they do it, it is... I mean, he said you can set your your watch to it that demon like demons manifest themselves in the process of someone coming to faith in Jesus. It's actually pretty shocking to hear about and to think about the spiritual world and and how the devil's for real and demons are for real and Satan's not happy when people come to faith in Jesus. So maybe we should start there. You know, before we talk about possession. Let's talk about demons. What are they? According to the Bible, what is a demon? Yeah, the Bible uh, talks about these beings that are known as, well, the demons, or they're also known in the Bible as unclean spirits or evil spirits, and they're always associated with Satan. They're under his command, and uh, they're, they're part of his plan and purpose in, in, in the world. And most likely, they're fallen angels who rebelled with Satan and shared when he was kicked out of heaven. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9 talks about the, that and um, how the, these angels were kicked out of heaven. So that's probably the origin of demons, but the uh, the Gospels just simply show that they don't explain where they came from. They just show their activity. Um, two things about demons that we see from the Gospels are that they're consistently opposing Jesus and the kingdom of God. And secondly, they're completely subject to the authority of Jesus. It's not like two equal combatants are entering the ring. You know, Jesus is not threatened or has, has any way that they could uh, overcome him and his power and his authority. 
Yeah, I think that's good to remember, even as we get into this topic, for, for believers who are listening, there's, not, there's nothing to fear because Jesus has authority over Satan and his demons, for sure. Um, and for those who are listening who aren't yet followers of Jesus, maybe this is a good opportunity to really consider the benefits of following Jesus, that, yeah. you, that you're on the right side, that, that Jesus is authoritative, and you don't have to fear this kind of stuff. It's real, it happens, but you don't have to fear it if you're in Christ. We'll get to that here in a little mm-hmm. bit. So let's talk a little bit about demon possession, Ross. Um, scripture talks about it in two different ways, demonization or having a demon. So what exactly is this talking about when we read this in our Bibles? There's a single Greek word that's translated demonized, or the phrase that's used, a person is said to have a demon or have an unclean spirit or to be with an unclean spirit. And when you see that, when those words occur, you look at the phenomenon, and you look at what's actually happening in the situation, what is the relationship between the demon and the person. And in all cases like that, the demonic spirit or the evil spirit gains some form of physical control over the human being. You see, you see the demon speaking through the human voice. You see maybe sometimes the demon causing no speech, a deaf uh, or, a, or a, a, mute, a mute spirit, it's called in the New Testament. Or you see feats of great strength, or you see self-harm, like a, a person who's demon-possessed throwing themselves into fire and so forth. And so the idea of the actual control of the demonic spirit over the person physically is where the idea of possession comes from. The idea that that the uh, this demon is within the person makes sense because when Jesus deals with the demonic spirit, it says that he casts it out. And so somehow, in some sense, it's seen as being in the person. And so the, the idea that the demon is taking up residence within the human, that's where the idea of possession and, and the demon seems to take over uh, control. So the word possession is not a, a Greek word. It's not in the original text, but that's an English word that seems to capture the whole phenomenon. And so anything that's short of that, that that, that seems to fall short of those phenomenon, then is we wouldn't call it demonic possession. We wouldn't. We'd call it something else. There's some other uh, uh, things that de- demons do, but they fall short of demon possession. So, for example, one thing that's not demon possession would be temptation. Like Jesus was tempted by Satan, but he wasn't. He wasn't possessed by a demon, right? That's a great example because even the Son of God could be tempted by a demonic power. But not everybody who's tempted is also demon possessed, right? And so there can be also along with that other kinds of demonic activity that are external to a person through fear or like you said, temptation, but I think a demon can actually make things move, poltergeist kind of thing, and it can maybe suggest thoughts. The devil can suggest thoughts to us, but we don't have to own them, and we can resist them. But there's no direct control in cases like that. So, Ross, let's talk for a second about what causes possession, because we we see in Scripture there are examples of demon possession but it doesn't really tell us how it all started. We're, we're just seeing it like midway through the story of that person's life, like the, the, the man in a Capernaum synagogue, you can find that in Mark chapter 1, Luke chapter 4, or the Gadarene demoniac in Matthew 8, or Mark 5, Luke 8, 
the demoniac boy you read about in Matthew 17, Mark 9, Luke 9, and then the slave girl at Philippi in Acts 16. So in all these examples, we don't we don't know what causes it. So can we say for sure what causes possession? I don't think that biblically we can. So there's a lot of folklore about that. All of that's just conjecture, or, or, or it's based on people's personal experiences. I, I'm sure there's plenty of people who have been delivered from a demonic um, possession and come to faith in Christ, and they can reflect on what happened in their life. But that doesn't become authoritative. That's just a collection of anecdotes. And so biblically, there's nothing in Scripture that really says ABC. This is how it happens, right? So yet there's, there's, some, there's some hints in Scripture, and you know it's probably worth talking about uh, some of the things that the this, this Scripture hints at in this matter. Judas is a good example. Uh, Judas, we see at the end of the of the gospel story that he is, you know, taken possession of by a demonic power to go and um, betray Jesus. He was the treasurer of the of the disciples. Uh, he he would help himself to the money bag. Um, people offered him money. You know, he was going to steward it for the team. And and the record is that he helped himself. He was not scrupulous with that. And so there was a, a foothold, we might call it a foothold or a gateway in, uh, for Satan to enter his life by you know, appealing to and him responding to his greed. And so when the Bible tells us later that Satan entered Judas, you know, Judas doesn't even seem to be aware of it. And it doesn't seem as a surprise at that time, maybe because this is some evidence of there was a process that started small that built up to the, uh, the final result. Yeah, we have a series in, at PursueGod.org called Spiritual Warfare. I encourage our listeners, if you want to talk about this a little bit more, footholds and strongholds, if you want to talk about that with a mentor or your family, maybe a small group, check out that series online. But Ross, Ephesians 4.27 talks about not giving the devil a foothold. Is that what it's talking about? Yeah, it seems to be, because it talks about the role of anger. It says, if you're angry, it says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. He says, if you do, if you're still angry when you go to bed, then you give the devil a foothold. And so there's a sense in which there's a moral choice that a person is making that reflects the heart of Satan, more over the heart of God, that gives a foothold or gives him a, a way to have... Um, some access into my life, I guess, is what we mean by a foothold. Okay, so how do you know if a person is possessed or not? What are some of the what are some of the signs or some of the manifestations of demon possession? Whether whether what we read in scripture or maybe some things that maybe our listeners are aware of just in in practical experience these days. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I, I'm not sure whether I've seen demon possession or not. Personally, I may have, because some of these signs were there, but nothing is like, nothing is in your face as much as like the movies, right? The exorcist, somebody's head is spinning or whatever. But there are some signs. Part of the thing is like, there's a fine line between de- demonic possession and m- mental illness sometimes. So sometimes I, we're not sure, like, is this just mental illness or is there a demonic presence that's active here? And I've, I've conjectured, I don't have data on this, but I've wondered whether it was, maybe sometimes those things go together, but I don't know. 
But sometimes mental illness can mask mask these behaviors. But these are some things that maybe are not just you wouldn't just expect to see them with someone who is going through a mental uh, health problem. That they probably indicate de- demonic possession. There's definitely a response to the presence of Jesus. We see in this in the Gospels an instantaneous knowledge about who Jesus is, and even a fear of the presence of Jesus. Somehow, the presence of a Christian, because the Holy Spirit lives in us, creates a violent reaction on the part of that person, or they become sick, or something like that. There, there could be threats. There could be strange guttural type noises or utterances in counterfeit languages. There could be, you know, this is something that the demonic presence makes itself known through the person's vocal cords. There might be yelling, cursing, growling, um, demonstrating human, superhuman strength, uh, being thrown on the ground, being stripped naked, just some, some dehumanizing things that the demon will express through that individual might be signs of demon possession. Yeah, this is what my my missionary friend in Indonesia said as he was describing some of these retreats where these Muslim background believers, he's just he said they'd be worshiping and it, and the first time he saw this he was so shocked but his uh his trainer, the guy who was running the event said, "Hey, you just need to be ready. Here's what's going to happen. We're going to have a worship time and we're going to be worshiping Jesus and about an hour in, you're going to start seeing this kind of stuff." Mm growling, cursing, superhuman strength. And he said that they ended up just honestly like wrestling, praying over people, getting being ready to sort of wrestle with them a little bit. It was mm. kind of chaos as he was describing yeah. it. And I thought, man, I've never seen anything like that. Most Christians listening to this have never seen anything like that. And for us, we might say, that just doesn't sound that doesn't sound right because we're 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 putting our experiences through the filter of of what, what's normal to us in American Christianity. Right. And yet, if we would put it through the grid of maybe early biblical Christianity, we would say, maybe that's a little more normal than we think. Maybe it's a little more normal than our experience. I think culturally, we have Americans, we're kind of, we like to think we're sophisticated and that we're, we're culturally better. It's really a bias that we have built into our Western culture. Well, so Ross, why do you think we don't see it as much then in American churches as we as we hear about it with missionaries? I mean, I've experienced some of this stuff we're talking about. I've experienced on missions trips, but I haven't experienced here in the United States. So why why do you think? I mean, I don't know if there's a biblical reason for that, but what are your thoughts? I've thought about this often, especially after we had been, you know, in in the in Asia and and had seen some of these things happening elsewhere in a different rate than in America. I've thought about, well, partly because, you know, I think in a culture like ours, it's so secular and that has become a- more atheistic and has rejected God because of science and because of, you know, other factors, you know, Satan just doesn't really need to do it. I mean, I think that there's a, he can control people in our culture in different ways. He can control people through the thoughts or through the culture itself, and maybe it's simply that it, it's happening, but it's just not manifest in the same way. Maybe there's people around all around us who are who are influenced in this manner, but it doesn't come out, um, you know, in, in in the interactions that we have. But I think probably the, the former. It's just that Satan has a different tactic, a different approach for our culture, for our society, because um, we're already well well past believing in God. Um, and believing in, and maybe it would it wouldn't help him to raise the question of the reality of the supernatural in our culture because that's what would happen as a result. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Well, I know another question our listeners are probably asking is, could this, all this stuff that we read about in the New Testament, could that just be mental illness? In other words, demon possession isn't really a thing. Maybe that's what they called it 2,000 years ago. But when I read these things, I'm like, clearly this person has a mental illness. What would you say to that? Yeah, you know, again, that's sort of um, reading back our experience and our filter through the Scripture and seeing those experiences. But there are some clear differences to what you read, the accounts you read in the New Testament, and anything that you've probably ever seen with someone who has a mental um, health issue, um, they're different. There's this, there's this sense of this uh, spiritual reality that seems to pervade the scene. There's Jesus, you know, Jesus can um, remove the demon, and he doesn't, doesn't say that he healed a person of an illness. It says that he cast out a demon. And, and so the result of Jesus' action shows that there's something real going on there. And then, you know, some of the phenomenon of a person being able to have strength way beyond what their physical body allows. And some of the other factors seem to me that there's a different category here that it can't really be explained by the, by the things that we know about, say, uh, paranoid schizophrenia or other forms of mental illness. There's something else going on. Yeah, and I would warn anyone who approaches Scripture trying to explain away what God's Word says to try to get it to match your experience. I think that's a dangerous thing. I think it's dangerous to look at what God's Word so clearly says and and uh, and essentially not trust it, not believe it, because it's not just in this area. There, there are other areas that we have to come to God's Word and say, ooh, man, I have to wrestle with this because this what I'm reading here doesn't necessarily match up with how I've experienced God or how my culture talks about God or, or any of these things. Mm-hmm. And so it really is an exercise of, of trust, trusting, going to God's Word as a learner and saying, I'm going to let you teach me. I'm not going to try to teach you. Anyway, that's maybe for another topic. Well, that's an, a good underlying point. It's a good underlying appro- way to approach this, yeah. So, Ross, one more question is, that, that people are asking is, can a Christian be demon possessed. What is what do we what we what can we gather from scripture to answer that question? Yeah, this is uh this has been a debate. There's certain groups that uh, put a lot of emphasis, I think, on demonic activity and that that would believe that Christians can be demon possessed. I think the data on this beyond scripture is experience and and when you see someone who claims to be a Christian has these phenomenon, then you assume, oh, a Christian could be demon-possessed. But my, my bigger question is, is that person genuinely a Christian? In other words, do they have the Holy Spirit living in them? Because I think the, the Bible, if you take the biblical data, there's no question that demons can have influence or to have effect in the life of a Christian. We call it, might call that oppression. But if you understand biblical theology, it seems like it would be hard for you to accept that de- that demon possession could happen in a believer because demons have no authority. They don't have the right to possess what Jesus owns. Jesus owns you as a follower of Christ, and so the demon, the demon can't take that over. And so Christians have the Holy Spirit living within. Holy Spirit has been given, and so I don't think it's possible for the demonic spirit and the Holy Spirit to occupy the same space. I think we, I know who's going to win because God, the Holy Spirit, is God. And God has authority over the demonic powers. And so I would say that no, no 
genuine Christian has to worry about whether or not they're going to have demon possession in their life or whether or not this is a, a, something that's going to happen to them because they belong to Jesus and the Holy Spirit lives within. Yeah, I think it's instructive to remember that we are, in a sense, we're possessed by the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit, like yeah. you said, the Holy Spirit owns us. And I guess in sort of a similar way, really, it, demon possession is a counterfeit of what the Holy Spirit wants to do for us. Mm. The Holy Spirit wants to move in us. We talked about this uh, last week, just about the the you know allowing the Holy Spirit from the inside out to move in us so that it produces the good things that we see in Scripture, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. So the the Holy Spirit wants to possess us in a way that He's moving, He's moving through us. He's acting, He's empowering us from the inside mm-hmm. to do good things. Demons want to possess us um, to do the opposite, to to lead us away from God's from God's way, to to harm, to get us to harm ourselves or to harm others, to distract us from from God's kingdom and from Jesus and His work in us. So, so I like that. I, th- I think that's a, maybe a good point of conversation for people as they're walking through this. Like, we're possessed by the Holy Spirit. We don't have to worry about being yeah. possessed by unclean spirits. Yeah, it's, I'm glad you pointed that out. That's a great parallel. So, Ross, I, you know, I, maybe it's time to just, if this isn't weird, if this hasn't been weird enough for our listeners, let's just get just a little bit weirder with this last question, because we're going to talk about casting demons out. Who can do it? Who can cast? Do you need to call the priest, the exorcist to come over if you feel like somebody has a demon? Well, this is what you know is depicted in the popular literature and and movies and stuff like that. Is you have to get a priest. He's been he's been you know trained in exorcist school or or whatever. And in fact, even in the um, in the first in the in the first century in the New Testament period, there was a a group of Jewish, quote, exorcists who were going around, you know, trying to do this. And um, they were they had some kind of special calling or special sort of authority from the institution to go do it. But that's never required. It's never seen in the, in the, the that picture's never seen in the New Testament. In the book of Acts, in the book, in the Gospels, you see Jesus is doing most of them. But he sends out the 70 his, those are, you know, he, he had the 12, his closest followers, and then he had the 70, which was the, the next layer of, of disciples. He sent them out and he empowered them to cast out demons and to heal people and all the rest. And then in the book of Acts, you see then Jesus is, has gone from the scene, ascended into heaven, and then you see the, the church as a whole. Uh, believers and all kinds of believers are casting out demons in the book of Acts. And so, it's really not about me or any special powers that I might have. It's not about some technique or some you know special holy water that I need to have blessed by you know the Pope or something like that. But any believer in Jesus has the authority to do the job. And um, we have, because of our relationship with Jesus, we've been given authority in Christ to uh, act on the name of Jesus and to act on his behalf in the world. Okay, so how do you do it? How how does if it's not a special sauce or an incantation um how how would somebody go about casting out a demon? 
you know, again, there's no technique. There's not a technique. You follow these three steps or these seven steps or whatever. But you see that. You see the literature and some of the people out there who are kind of big on this are putting out, you know, you got to follow this. You got to do it. Like you got to have a conversation with the evil spirit where you have to kind of learn its name or something like that. No, that's all that's unnecessary. You just simply do it, say it. Um, Jesus said, you know, be gone. But we say, I'm going to let that, I'm going to claim my authority in Jesus as a follower of Christ, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God forever, trusting in Jesus, trusting in the blood of Christ. He's my Lord. He's given me the right, the authority to deal with you, I'm saying to to the demon. And then, and then you just command it to leave in the name of Christ. You just say, be gone in the name of Christ. Now, that might not be as simple as it sounds because the demonic power is going to try to avoid that. So they're going to try to scare, maybe scare the Christian. They're going to try to distract you with, with phenomenon that are like not to the point. And so it's easy to be deterred from this, but it's simple and this is just simply taking and claiming the authority of Jesus in my relationship with him and exercising that authority over the demonic power. Ephesians 1, verses 21 and 22 says, Now Christ is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And so really, it, it's, a, it's good to remember that it's not about, like you said, Ross, it's not about any of us. It's about Jesus. It's about his authority. And because of that, we don't, have to, we don't have to worry. We don't have to be fearful or anxious about demon possession. Um, Jesus has all authority. Demons are real, but Jesus has all authority. Uh, the spiritual realm is real, but Jesus has all authority. Ross, anything else before we sign off? Anything else on demons and demon possession for people to, to be aware of? I would just add this one final thing, and that is, even though a Christian cannot be uh, possessed or controlled like this by a demon, uh, we still the, the demons are still trying to do some work in our lives. They're still trying to tempt us. They're still trying to make us be, be disobedient to God. They're going to do it in, in maybe indirect ways. Um, so we, we, the Bible does call Christians to be alert, to, to stay sober and alert and to stand firm, now put on the armor of God. Um, we're going to test evil. We're going to stay away from evil. And so we're, we, we really, we're still involved in spiritual warfare, even though this, this aspect is really not necessarily going to be part of it for us. We're still involved in spiritual warfare. And so the Christian, I don't want any Christians to walk away and say, oh, demons, they got nothing on me, you know, and well, you have all the authority and all the power, and you have the ability in Christ to resist their temptations and to resist the, the thoughts that they might plant in your head, um, but you got to be ready for that battle. you got to be alert. you got to be in prayer. You have to be uh, aware of the things that the enemies will want to do in your life. Maybe there's some typical patterns in your life where you say, oh, I blew it again, and be alert, on guard, and engaged in, in the process of experiencing Christ's victory in your life. If you want to learn more about spiritual warfare, if you want to go through that series with a small group or with a mentor, or even just with your family and family devotions over the next few weeks, you can find all of that at pursuegod.org forward slash warfare. 
Hey listeners, Pastor Brian here. If you're enjoying our podcast, would you consider becoming a donor? Our goal is that these podcasts would reach the largest audience possible. So obviously it takes money to create good podcasts, but more than that, we want to make sure to market this to the whole nation and even to the world. That's where your donation comes in. So would you consider becoming a monthly donor? And to do it, just visit PursueGod.org forward slash donate.